Hey there, I'm Camila, and this is the Rugged Angel Cast. Welcome to the podcast that focuses on conversations with women and the stories they have to tell. So picture it, a young woman grows up in Michigan and dreams of creating community gardens, but then during a vacation decides that the real dream is actually being in the entertainment industry. Now, under the guise of wanting to attend film school, she gets her mom to take her on film school tours in L.A. When it comes time to go home, she says, nope, I'm staying here, but I won't be attending film school. I'm going to make this work. And she did. Listen to Sade Sellers tell how she secured a career in writing horror and drama. Sade is also the creator and host of the much needed and wanted podcast Afro Horror, which celebrates not only black actors in horror, but also the impact the black culture has had on the genre. Let me introduce you to Rugged Angel number 122, Sade Sellers. All right, Sade Sellers, welcome to the Rugged Angel cast. Hi, I'm so glad we finally did this. It's been, what, a year in the making? <laughs> yeah, like originally I was trying to get you on my Buffy podcast, um, yeah. but that just didn't work out. And, so, and also it was more difficult to schedule three people as opposed to like two via internets and stuff. So I just decided, well, let's just have you on my own podcast and let's talk about you. And, you know, Buffy's great and all, but I want to get to know you and who you are. But I am <laughs> bummed about that. Like, please I mean, don't we'll get, give up on we'll me. We'll get there. We'll get there. I mean, okay, we, I, we're in the last season, though. So, I mean, we only got a few more episodes to squeeze in there. I know. I, oh, I'm so mad that I couldn't make that work because I love that show. And I'm still <laughs> waiting for the reboot to be officially announced. But it may be torpedoed by now. I don't know. I don't know. It's a yeah. Okay. So yeah. how are you today? <laughs> I'm good. I just came off vacation. So um, I feel refreshed and cleansed and ready to get back to work. Was it a traveling vacation or what is a staycation? You know, from work. technically it was a staycation because I didn't leave the state. I had my best friend come out from Michigan and she wanted to do all the tourist things. So we did three days at Disney. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> three days at Disneyland and uh, a day at Universal and then the beach and then Runyon Canton. She's very L.A. tourist stuff. So. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've been to LA once. Um, I did not go to Disneyland or world. I forget which one is out there, Land, uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but I did a lot of the touristy stuff and I, I had a good time. Yeah. So, um, it was fun. So, yeah. So ah, I t- totally lost my train of thought because you said something. Disney uh, tourist. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, so you know you you're all refreshed now, and that's good to know. Oh yes, yeah, so your friend came from Michigan, and this yeah. is where you're originally from. You're originally yeah. from Michigan. I'm originally from Lansing, Michigan. Yeah. Okay, I'm from Ohio, Toledo. Um, hey, yeah, okay. <laughs> Midwest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and I, I also coincidentally, I'm reading a book right now where the you know the main character is spending some time in Lansing, and they I've never been to Lansing. Um, uh, yeah, the um. Uh, what the fireflies know and um they talk about how rural it is is that the case yeah. I, I mean i've never been there that's so funny i i it's such a um it's such a small city to me that i'm like why would anyone mention it and i was watching um don't look up that's on netflix uh-huh. and though it takes place at michigan state in 
East Lansing and in Lansing. And I was like, what? People want to even mention this city in movies and TV? Um, it is very it is very rural. It's an interesting city. Michigan, I think people have the perception because it's in the north that it's this progressive, mm-hmm. like northern light Canada, Canada almost like state. And it is it right. is a south loving, appealing. It is a conservative state, um, but only in like cities like Lansing, Flint, and Detroit, and Grand Rapids, I would say, will you find, like, a, you know, some diverse populations, but it is, it is a country city, like, it's country. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, how did you make your way out to California? What was, <laughs> yeah, and, um, so I was, I was raised in Lansing, I was born in New York, my sister was born in LA, <laughs> my mom's an immigrant from Belize. And she settled in Lansing because she had, you know, divorced my dad and she had these two kids. And but my dad's mother, my grandmother, Bobby, she said, come to Lansing and I'll help you take care of the kids. And she couldn't pass up that that offer, you know. So we went to Lansing and we grew up there and, you know, as small as Lansing is too. Magic Johnson, you know, his dad was friends with my grandmother. They both worked in the plants uh, and Lansing, or she worked at GM. I'm not sure if he worked at GM too, but they knew each other and she would give magic shoes and clothing because of my dad's stuff. So (laughs) that's how small the city is. Um, but I ended up leaving because I went to Michigan state for a year, two years almost. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I went there under a scholarship called arts and humanities scholarship. And it was basically like, gardening <laughs> like, how to make garden like community gardens like putting but they were giving out scholarships and anyone who went into that program got to go to school for free so I was like yeah of course why wouldn't I take that program <laughs> I get to go to school for free but in my heart since I was eight I knew I wanted to go and do film like I knew that um but I was too scared to apply anywhere else so I I was like all my friends are going to Michigan State it's down the street I can still be near my family so I'm gonna go to Michigan State and study arts and humanities and learn how to plant trees and um it didn't work out (laughs) um and I remember I was on vacation in Disney World (laughs) with a boyfriend at the time, and there was this big, big billboard that said, you know, casting on Disney TV shows and and sign up here. And I was just 18, but I still, you know, I was very, I'm still a small town girl at heart. I asked my mama for permission. I said, mama, can I go audition for this? And she said, no, get your butt back home and go to school. And that kind of set me on a a tailspin because I said, I want to be in film. I want to make TV. I want to make movies. And I'm wasting my time at Michigan State. So long story short, I found my way to California under the lie that I was going to attend film school. I knew I wasn't going to attend film film school, but I had to lie um, to get my mom to be okay with me (laughs) dropping out of school. So I lied and she came with me to LA and we did all the campus tours and we saw the LA film schools and New York film Academy. And, you know, you know, we're going to make decisions. And, um, she was, we were headed to the airport LAX and, um, she got out the car and I said, I'm not going, I'm not coming back home. I'm staying here. And she said, okay, we'll get a job and pay your bills. <laughs> I'll see you later. <laughs> And she left and I stayed. So, <laughs> that's okay, how it works. So, 
So you both went out there together, yes, yeah. for this mm-hmm. for this faux college campus tour. Yeah. <laughs> under the yeah. guise of you going to film school. And so and then when it was time to part ways, you're like, all right, deuces mom, I'm staying here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then she and so what did you, at, did you already have housing set up or do, like what what was your plan what was your next very next step? I had an aunt who lived out here at the time, but my aunt and my mother were not close. They had a really tumultuous childhood together, but my aunt and I were close because she, she also works in the film industry, but in costumes. And I felt like she was the only one that could understand my passion about film because everyone else in my family are business people. You know, they work for engineering or they're doctors or they're lawyers. They're all business people. I'm, I think it's me and one cousin in Chicago who happens to be on a, a TV show on Discovery Channel right now about real estate in the Hamptons, uh, Mia. She's the only one that's also in entertainment. So I begged the this aunt, can I stay with you? I feel like if I stay with you, my mom will be okay with it. Cause even though you guys don't have a great relationship, that's still your sister, right? Like that's still your sister. And, and she agreed. And, and my aunt to her credit moved me in her one bedroom, LA Los Feliz apartment. And I slept on the couch and I just started working until I could save up my own money to move to my own one bedroom apartment in Koreatown. And, um, yeah, that was basically my mom's only thing was like pay your bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I mean, to some certain extent, that's all she could really do. Like, you're 18, you're legally an adult. It's like, you know, I don't want to hinder my child from living and finding out her dreams and finding out who she is, but yeah. I'm also not going to foot the bill. So you're going to have to. Yeah. And she really couldn't. She just had my twin brothers. They were, let's see, I was 15 when they were born. So they were only a four or oh, five. Wow. Yeah, she they were she had young kids. She couldn't yeah. bankroll some right. kid, some teenager. I'm the oldest, by the way, and okay. um, so I really had to go and make my own money. And so the same day I moved in with my aunt, she was like, "Look, there is a company called um, Central Casting, and it's in Burbank, and I'll take you there, and you sign up, and you can start doing background on movies, and you can learn about sets, and and that's how I started. So I I did that for a few years, and I made enough money to pay my own bills and actually cover some of my own family bills at the time. Um, this was 2009. So the market hit really bad. Mm-hmm. If, if, if anyone remembers that, um, mm-hmm. my mama lost a lot of money. And at that time I was able to not only support myself, but support some of her stuff and my sister's stuff just from working that. background. That's amazing. Yeah. But I guess, you know, it makes sense you being right there in the heart of it all that you would be able to do that. Um, yeah. So, all right, let's take me back. You said since you were eight, you knew that you wanted to be involved in film. Yeah. At what point, like, what was it that attracted you? What at age eight, eight year old Sade, like, what was it that attracted you? And like, what did you envision yourself actually doing at that age? My mama took me to see... Jurassic Park Lost World. I don't remember if we saw it in theaters or if I saw it on video, but I she she got it for me somehow. And I didn't know what exactly those people were doing on screen, but I was like, whatever they're doing, I want to do that. (laughs) Whatever job that is or whatever that means, running away from dinosaurs, that's what I want to do. And and then that fall, I uh or months later, I can't remember when it was, but I believe it was fall. I signed up for my first play in a children's theater. It was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And my grandma, who you know took us in, um, she took me to my first audition. And I was so nervous and so shy. I didn't get it, but I got like the role of 
evil owl number two which basically evil means owl yeah evil owl there were good owls and there were evil owls and i was evil owl number two so so like yeah so as a child in the, in the lion the witch in the wardrobe evil owl just means you're wearing black and a scowl for the most Pretty part <laughs> just doing some makeup and you're flapping your wings around angrily flapping your wings yeah and getting into like a fake fight with the turtle i remember that i like i was matched up against this girl who was a good turtle and i had to fake fight her it was like a whole thing that <laughs> <laughs> was children's theater though and that really is right. what kicked it off like it was so fun so, wow so at this point you wanted to be an actress um i thought so i thought i thought that was the epitome of making films i was like oh, you got to be an actress and it wasn't until i got into high school and i was taking a video class um that i was like oh the directing is a thing like oh you can make movies and make music videos and and then i switched over there but for years when i moved to la it was like the path for me i only feasibly thought existed was to be an actor and then as i learned how to write and produce i went why would anyone want to be an actor exactly and yet they get all the glory like they get all the glory and it's really like they're stuck they they don't right. get a say in what they're what the they do to an extent but at the at the end of the day it's up to the writers and the producers and the editors and the directors to make all those mm. final decisions and as an actor you're just like you give you get what's given to you um that doesn't sound great <laughs> to me so, <laughs> so i felt no, back because you're, it seems like you were um, really into creating worlds, and that's yeah. that's worlds and characters, and so, um, so okay, so now you have, you know, gotten your foot in the door at, at some, doing some background acting. And did you ever end up going to school officially? Or? <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> no, because when we did the tours, I mean, and this was like 11, 12 years ago, they kept, you know, all the tuitions were like, oh, it's 80 grand a year. <laughs> I was like, what, 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 in what world does my family have 80 grand a year to spend? So I knew in the back of my mind, like it was never, school was never going to be an answer because I'm also like a very hands-on visual learner, visual learner. So even though I was doing background work, I wasn't, I technically, I was just laughing about this with a friend who I bumped into a while ago who also did background work with me we never really did the work like we always found our way out of it because we were asking so many questions to anyone who would listen to us to the gaffers to the set designers to the costumers we were just what do you do how do you do this how do i get into this and so we would always find our way not in scenes because we yeah. were too busy learning about well, that's stuff. fantastic also like background work is kind of a miserable existence like i've done it, it a few times and you know it's not like it's just so much hurry up and wait and just like just just sitting around sitting around and that's just yeah and it's different i mean now now you treat someone bad they make a whole tiktok thread about you and <laughs> and they you know back then it wasn't like that there was no one advocating for background artists you were treated as a prop and that's mm -hmm. it you sit here stand here smile here um right. they call you horrible names like cattle and and yeah. chief and and it was some of the most degrading work too just just gross degrading work that I got to a point where I was like, um, not only am I not able to make films cause I'm always on set waiting, but mm. I don't like being treated like this. So I had to stop doing it, but I will say it was very valuable to learn about 
everything. It was the best film school. Um, and you got paid to do it and fed. So <laughs> it, was, it was better than film school. I didn't have to pay 80 grand a year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you get there, you get this firsthand knowledge and experience and you get to talk and make connections also, which uh, essentially that's what a lot of the film industry boils down to are who you know, yeah. just as much as what you know. Um, so outside of, you know, your on your background school of film, um, how did you go about like learning how to write scripts, write screenplays and, and direct? How did you go about that path? It's um, after I stopped doing background work, I had to still make money. So I went to the very standard like wait, like host. I'm not going to say waitressing because I'm a terrible waitress. So I had to do everything else besides waitressing. I did cashiering and hosting. I was a good hostess, um, you know, great cashier. Cause people liked people like talking to me, but I have a terrible memory, short term memory. So I was like, I forget orders. I'm not the girl you want servicing a table at all. Um but in between, like, doing that, I would – the benefit about doing background is that if you knew the right people, you'd get scripts every day. You get sides. Mm. They would literally, mm. like, the production assistants would give you sides so you know what scenes are coming up. They'd give you call sheets. And I took all of those items home, and I would just study them and read them. Um, and I just immersed myself, especially in scripts. There's a, a library, the WGA library, that's in the Fairfax district on 3rd and Fairfax in L.A. And I don't know if they're – open anymore because pandemic was a weird time but i would go there and sit for hours and you could have <laughs> thousands of scripts at your disposal and i would just wow. read them hmm. that's what i did i just read and then i started making my own shorts just small little five minute things with my friends and then there was a competition for american black film festival it was their third annual screenwriting competition and if you uh, won the competition, they would make your 90-minute for-television script into a movie, and they'd put it on their network. And I saw that online, like, three days before the deadline. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, it's, I don't have a lot of time to do this, but also, at that time, I had quit a very abusive restaurant job, and I was, I had nothing else to do. <laughs> so I was like, I was unemployed, I was on my couch, I was like, I'll, I'll take three days and I won't go to sleep. It had to be 90 minutes. It had to be made for television. And so I wrote a thriller that was like a single white woman-esque thriller about um, black women in an office setting who needed to hire her replacement um, for her position. And she got, she got, you know, what do you call it? Uh promoted, promoted. and she needs to hire, yeah, a replacement for her old position. And then that replacement started taking dressing like her talking like her like setting her up for you know looking bad at her job um i wrote that and it's called the replacement and um i submitted that thinking nothing i was like i wrote it in three days i didn't even proofread it it's probably the worst thing they've ever read and then like months later i got a call that i was a finalist and i said you've got to be kidding me <laughs> what i wrote it i wrote it like nothing it would meant nothing and they flew me out to miami and I didn't win the whole thing, but I, I, you know, that was, that was enough energy to get me to go, oh, I could actually write. Like, yeah. let's keep going. So what I read um, on your website was that, so from that, that got you a writer's position? 
It actually didn't. <laughs> oh, wait, no, it did. I'm sorry. I'm skipping over things. I'm looking at the poster now. It it did. So I didn't win, which I think is a great testament. Like, you don't have to win everything. Sometimes right. you just have to be there. Right. Um, I didn't win, and I actually wasn't expecting the win. The guy who won that year had a really good script. Um, and I, I just knew he was going to win. So when we went to Miami, I had my sister come with me. We just had fun and we just, we were just excited to be there. So I just spoke to people, met to people. And I think the execs really liked me and I think that's what stuck in their mind. So months after leaving American Black Film Festival, it's in October. I'm about to celebrate my birthday. I get a call from the TV One network and they go, we have this piece of IP that we want to turn into a made-for-TV film. And because I submitted a thriller, which I can't prove, but I think I was one of the very few people that actually submitted thrillers that year. I think a lot of people did comedies or like really strict dramas. And I was like, I'm doing a high action thriller (laughs) uh, horror essentially. (laughs) So I think because of that and they knew me, they said, we want you to pitch what your take on this story would be. So they have a show. They had a show. I don't know if it's still on called for my man, which is like their uh, documentary series about women who kill. You know, it's it's really good. And they had an episode based on a true story of a man who was, spoiler, murdered by his fiance. And they said, you know, how would you turn this into a movie? And so I worked on the pitch and I actually did the pitch on my birthday thinking again, they they have other writers pitching for this. I have no qualifications. They're not going to pick me. It's fine. And they called me like 20 minutes later and was like, yeah, we love that idea. Like, let's do it. And I was like, wow, what? Minutes later. Wow. That's, a, that's yeah, very quickly. <laughs> very right? quickly. I thought I'd have to wait weeks and months. They're like, no, we love that one. Great. Let's do it. And I was like, okay. Well, that's amazing. Okay. So what happened after that? Like, what was, what did, yeah, that film came out in 2019. It's called deadly dispatch. And it premiered on the network during the like summer series of um, like thrillers. They did a whole summer series and thrillers. It was the last one to premiere. Um, it stars Tamela Jones, Bone Crusher, and Dominique Perry. Some really great. It was directed by Monica Drolia, who is a great director. She's doing more TV now, but she's amazing. And Leah Daniels Butler was the casting director. I I could not have asked for a, like a better first film, and that's why I always feel like <laughs> I may have peaked early. I was like, it's not going to get any better than this. <laughs> like, this was a really great crew, um, and it came out, and we had a a little viewing party here. Leah was here, and her family, and my family flew out, and we watched it from my living room and it was just like the most surreal experience <laughs> in the world <laughs> well, yeah. it seems yeah it seems like you've been living like quite the kind of I don't want to say charm because it's kind of like not really put it that's that's uh, displacing like the talent that you have um, in your you know creativity there so it's like that's like discounting something but it is char- a little bit charmed it is and it also yeah. see- <laughs> it also seems like you've also had the um the plus on the plus side too that you've been introduced into the in this filmmaking world which is usually you know the old white boy club yeah and it seems like you've been integrated like immediate almost immediately in where more black women and more and more black men are in charge and like and taking hold yeah it's complete luck right, right. like it's just so the timing which i'm so such a big believer in, in timing like 
I, if I didn't get, if I didn't quit that restaurant job, if I wasn't employed, right. if I didn't happen to see that call three days before the deadline, if I, if I didn't go to Miami with the expectation that I was just going to have a good time and just be the best person I could be, all those things. Um, if I didn't happen to, to, uh, watch Wendy Williams that one day I came up with the idea for the replacement. That's where I got the idea from besides single white females, like an ask Wendy segment. So like all, all of those lucky things. And then, like you said, my first experience on film being with black and mostly black women is that doesn't right. happen. So I've been very right. spoiled. And like you said, charmed. Um, Cause I, I, again, I peaked. I don't think I'll ever have that situation again, where I'll be around that many black creators mm. on a set. And that makes me sad. It hasn't happened since <laughs> being honest. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> kind of bad. Mm. So, all right. So, one of your first, you know, screen plays was a, you know, a thriller. Is that what you like to gravitate more towards? Thriller, horror? Is that your? Yeah, I. I mean, it, it all stems back from Jurassic Park. <laughs> like, I love, uh, I love heightened situations, and I, I love running and screaming and action sequences and and thrillers. Especially those ninety thrillers. They that gives yes. everything. Those thrillers in the nineties are like anything with an Ashley Judd in it was <laughs> sold. So, right. Yeah. This is so crazy because like last month out of the blue, I was just like, you know what? I really want to just watch some nineties thrillers. Like so I'm like look look at them like where's I'm so looking at good. Net. I'm looking at like, you know, sleeping with the enemy. It's like <laughs> Sleeping with the Enemy, yeah. Um Pelican Brief, like Yeah. Even uh, there's just so there's so many and they're so good and they're just so adult. I always felt like such an adult watching them. I was like, oh, this is for like grown and sexy people when you're watching a 90s thriller. You know, no kid stuff here. These are real adults with real issues. And, you know, so um, that's where I was raised off of. And that's that's how I tend to like to write now. Um, and um, I do feel like there's a, a missing hole when it comes to thrillers and we need to replace the female led thriller because they're so mm. good. And yeah. I hope I can be a part of that resurgence soon. <laughs> well, I also noticed that, um, you know, as a, in addition to writing for television and film, um, you also do, some, you've written some fictional, you write for a fictional podcast. You know what? Afro horror is actually, uh, no, my or my my other job? No, yeah, uh, yeah true love. Yeah, true love. True love. Um, season five is coming out on Wondery sometime this year. True love is it's funny because I was hired originally to write more of a thriller. Like it was mm. supposed to be like a a thriller in space kind of thing. And then we, they changed the cadence of the show um, shortly after we started, and it's now it's a romance. <laughs> It's just strictly romance. So speaking of grown and sexy, so now oh, you've <laughs> <laughs> so now you're tapping into this this aspect, this yeah. out of your creativity. It was honestly how- the most challenging project I've had to do so far in my career. Well, what kind of things do you have to draw from? I mean. <laughs> so you, you, I mean, like, where where you get like I haven't listened to it yet because I just you know as I was researching you is where I discovered that it yeah. existed, and I also haven't listened to a lot of fictional, a lot of narrated or fictional podcasts, but um, I'm intrigued. Like it's <laughs> so. Oh, I guess I guess that's not true. I can't say I've never I'll never work on an all black production. True Love is black producers, black actors, uh, black director, and black writers. So yeah, True Love is deep in black. 
Yes. Um, so yeah, I've been really lucky in my career, actually. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I, keep going. I forgot all about that. Oh, my bad. Um, yeah, True Love is is completely pro black show. Um, that that show was very challenging for me to write because it was out of my wheelhouse. I will say like, I am not a a romance girl. I do love romantic comedies, but I don't read romance novels. Right. So Mm. the producers blessed them. They, they were very patient with me. They, they gave me like my own, their own romance breakdown on how you deal with consent and sex and Mm. and kissing. I had to really study that because I know nothing about, I had nothing to draw from. I'm not really like a romantic sense of a person. Yeah. Your life. So, (laughs) No, I mean, there was, I would, I would, as me personally, I would find that as a challenging thing to write because it, it is, I don't read a lot of romance Mm-mm. and, um, I'm also not really like into like the whole, a lot of romance, you yeah. uh, like films and that kind of thing. So, you know, you know, I don't know how to like go about describing like, you know, the kiss in the bud. Yeah. Know, I'm not even a hugger. Back, like, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm not even a hugger in my real life. So I was like, I don't know. I'm the most like desensitized person when it comes to human feelings and they want me to write feelings like you had like writing feelings and they were those producers are so good because they they would call me out when something was disingenuous they're like this is fake no one does this mm-hmm. and they would also call me out when they're like this is too monotone you need to find like the the depths of what love is and it made me realize i was like well i haven't been in love in so long i don't even know what those feelings are <laughs> how to describe them so this is, I, did this make you like really take a look inward it does it's it's just like i you know i i remember being young and in love but to describe it now you know when you're so far removed from it it, it's a whole different thing that um it was very challenging because like thriller is just like it's plot mostly it's just like Mm. what can we throw at this character to challenge them and how they face it but with romance it's really like taking insecurities on their inside and having these characters try to work through that and i was just like oh heebie-jeebies like feeling (laughs) ew gross yeah (laughs) touchy feelings and we gotta talk about things no hide 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 so it was really really hard i kept telling my managers at that time i was like i don't know why they just don't fire me (laughs) like just fire me i'm not i don't feel like i'm doing a good job but they worked you know they really worked with me on every episode and every note session and i did the best i could and i i haven't heard the show yet but i look forward to hearing it because i do think it was something really special that we did and since writing it have you found that are there any changes in your in yourself and the way that you emote? And have you been able to be a little more open with your feelings? No, we um, <laughs> when Absolutely my best not, no. <laughs> no no I, not not me as a person, but me as a writer. I uh-huh. writing for podcasts is so different than screenwriting. So different because you're dealing with audio, right? That's right. So all my to, visual you, you can't, show yeah, can't show anything. All my visual tricks that I use in screenwriting. You can't do that in podcast writing. You have to audibly hear everything um, and even write in special effects audio cues. Yeah. <laughs> that was, but you know what it did teach me? Character work. Like it taught me like rooted character work is so important um, in podcast work because like they're, they're voiceover actors, right? So you need to give them very specific dialogue and tone so they can mm-hmm. tell the difference, you know, on right. when you're listening to the show, I took that into my screenwriting too because I, like I said, I've always been a plot-heavy, driven person. But it's really character work that makes 
film and TV so special. So that was the biggest tool that I took away. But as, as a human being, I think me and my friend, when we were at Disneyland, we saw someone get engaged and she got like audibly gasped and was so excited. And I was like, oh, so embarrassing <laughs> in front of all these people. How could he? <laughs> I was mortified for, you know, so I'm, I've not changed. <laughs> in that regard. Well, you know, in a way that's good, I guess, as long as you're happy with who you are. Just not going to be that girl but that's okay yeah that's fine that is totally fine yeah okay so briefly you did mention like you thought i was talking about afro harb which yeah. i do i am a fan uh because um i i do and i enjoy horror and it's also like fun to listen to you and your your random guests yeah. discuss <laughs> us black folk in the horror film yeah. <laughs> i do love that that show um afro horror podcast was started because I, I, the time four years ago, I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I was listening mostly to horror podcasts and they were all by white guys, mm -hmm. white dudes, white always. Dudes. And one episode, and I won't name the show cause I can't even remember it. Cause I followed them immediately after I listened to this episode, they were talking about like Halloween resurrection. That's the one that stars Tyra Banks and, um, Buster Rhymes. Mm. And Sean, Sean Patrick Thomas. Yeah. And they were, I mean, rightfully so ripping it apart. It's a, it's a shitty movie, but, right. Right, I'm the curse. but, but the way they were talking about Buster Rhymes and Tyra Banks. Uh, yeah. It just hit a little different. It just yeah. didn't feel, didn't feel safe. Didn't feel didn't right. Feel right. I was like, wait, 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 wait. Because what pisses me off is because you're a white guy and you will never understand the cultural significance of having mm. Buster Rhymes and Tyra Banks in that movie at that time is over your head. You yeah. have no idea. Right. You have no idea. And there was uh, something that one of the, one of the things that sticks with me is I think I most recently listened to the year one about the faculty. Mm -hmm. And oddly enough, I had just recently watched it, um, <laughs> the faculty. So, you know, you're talking about like, uh, you mentioned how this very nineties at that yeah. point in time to like put like rappers and, you know, R and B singers in these horror films and trying to get, you know, black butts in the seats, yep. basically. Yeah. And that's so true because there was like this whole like renaissance of, you know, the ushers and Buster Rhymes and Brandy. Everything. You know, just everything. Like <laughs> across, across, not just in film and in, in TV, but like Lenny Kravitz did a commercial with Sarah Jess Jessica Parker for The Gap. You know that's what I mean? Right. Lenny Kravitz. Right. <laughs> no business. There's no business in a exactly. Dancing to, to Lenny Kravitz, and I'm just like, you had to. I was very, I was young in the '90s. I, you know, I wasn't an adult, but the cultural impact. You knew what they were doing at UPN right. at that time. Like we, yeah. we don't talk about the impact UPN had. Yeah, like, exactly. It was a cash grab to get black audiences money because we were controlling the cultural zeitgeist at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at um, FUBU or even Tommy Hilfiger. Tommy Hilfiger. Exactly. Exactly. Like, so, like I always think, I always see the ads with, you know, Aaliyah. Like, Aaliyah, you know, like, Destiny's like, Child, yeah. Diddy Combs. We control, and we still do control what was cool <laughs> in, in pop it's culture. Always been that way. Always, <laughs> always. But in the '90s, for the first time, really, you saw movie uh, and TV execs going, "Oh, there's money behind this mm -hmm. hip hop thing." So right. when you're talking about movies like Halloween Resurrection, Halloween A Show that has LL Cool J, even Deep Blue Sea with LL Cool J. Um, 
you have to put some respect on it. They may not have been the greatest movies, but there was a reason. <laughs> Those <laughs> movies made money because black right. people said, there's an icon, there's an icon. Aaliyah and Queen of the Dance? Are you kidding? It's still talked right. about today. Like... <laughs> Listen, like that is the only reason, like why I was even like still, like entertain the film, like yeah. you know Queen of the Dan, because it's a shitty movie. All yeah. like, to me personally, I know I didn't like it, but Aaliyah <laughs> was uh, yeah, okay. So I mean, how so, do we not? How do we not? And and God bless her, rest in peace. She would have done right. so much more too. But um, so when you when I heard that that episode and just. I just was so pissed. I, and I feel like any great decision in life is made by a black woman being mad at something. <laughs> like, I, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Let me fix this real quick. Like, when I think of Beyonce's lemonade, not that I'm comparing Afro Horror to lemonade, <laughs> but I'm, just, like, I'm not, not comparing it to it. <laughs> not comparing it. But I, when, yeah, I get her motivation for wanting to make it right. because she was pissed. Um, yeah. I was pissed. And I, I, I was like, I gotta make this. I got. We gotta start talking about the black impact in horror because we've mm. been for years cut out of it. We've had our own. Like we talked about Tales from the Hood, you know, mm. Vampire in Brooklyn. We've always had yeah. our own, and they've been very popular in our communities. But people have never watched it. Uh, white people, I should say, you know. And I was like, we need a place where we can talk about and celebrate. More importantly, celebrate the people. Mm. Before there was a Jordan Peele, when everyone right. started watching Black Horror, the people who had to struggle to go through that, the least Neils of the world, you know, mm. she played Hallie in Scream 2, um, mm. to celebrate all of those people above and below the line, I really am a proponent for for reaching out to people below the line, costume designers, right. makeup. I want, I want to talk to all of them and their experience to give them their flowers and to say thank you for being way ahead of your time and for putting your cultural stamp on this film that probably would have been crappy either way, but you made it better just for <laughs> being great. there. So You did something to kind of enhance at least, you know, the Black viewer, the Black audience experience. You exactly. know, a lot of times, you know, this has just seeing the familiar face, seeing someone that looks like us, seeing, and, you know, having yeah. them speak and, you know, about things that we know about. They made a song for the soundtrack. That was great. <laughs> you know, like, yes. <laughs> Which I don't think we get enough of anymore. We like, don't. you know, just dedicated soundtracks for for films. Yeah. Uh, like LL Cool J singing Deepest Bluest, My Hat is Like a Shark's Fin over the title credits for Deep Blue Sea is iconic. Thank you for that, LL Cool J. Right. It's like, you know what? I didn't know I needed that, but I did. I, I appreciate it. And it <laughs> So, so I just wanted to give respect because, you know, I love Jordan Peele. Everyone loves Jordan Peele. But this whole, like, erasure of, like, black horror before Jordan Peele is just so silly for communities who, who aren't black um, mm. to even try to question. Like, we've been here. We've yeah. been here. And we've been doing damn good horror films for years. Exactly. And, um, and it, so, but also, yeah, if people have never seen a black horror film, I'd love them to come, you know, watch, listen to the podcast and maybe go check out a film just because they yeah. heard it on the podcast. So, yes, absolutely. So if anybody's out there and listening, you know, about, you know, and, and you're confused and you don't know, like, where to start on my black film horror journey, my black horror film yeah. journey, listen, give a listen to Afro Horror Podcast and also watch the documentary on um, Black Noir. Yes. Um, horror which, Noir you know, on Shudder. Yes, Horror Noir. 
So good. On Shutter. Amazing. And, you know, it takes a nice deep dive. I would love that to be like a series. You know, I think I don't, I feel like we didn't have enough two hours, wasn't enough time. I think it's coming. I think it's coming. Excellent. So what, okay, so you've done, you do a lot and I appreciate you for that. And um, you, a lot of this is, you know, self-taught and Mm self-learned. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, you need to be commended just on that in journey in itself, not, you know, getting yourself into $80,000 worth of debt or no. you know, <laughs> having somebody <laughs> teach you how to do something that apparently you innately know how to do. But you already <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but I believe, well, but I, not just me, I believe, I firmly believe all black women do this. Yes. It's just in our nature. I believe so, too, uh, because, you know, most of the things that I do my career wise and self-taught, I've just figured yeah. it out. You know, this is I believe it. And just you learn how to do it. And a lot of the black women that I've had on this podcast also the same. So yeah. I'm it's just like saying, what we're saying, like, show me once I got it. Show me twice. I've nailed it. Show me three times. I perfected it. That's how yeah. I personally feel black women operate i think Mm. you just gotta show us once and we will get it and we'll just take it from there and you know and i feel like it's you know it it's not to say i feel like the reasoning behind that is just to be the fact that for so many years nobody wanted us in the room to begin with Mm -hmm. and so no one was taking the time to show teach and you know let us experience certain things and um and gain certain knowledge on a lot of things and so it's just like you know well we just got to a point where it's just like hey i'm just gonna go ahead and do it myself do it myself yeah that's our motto right like move i'll do it myself (laughs) right exactly (laughs) our grandmas did it our great grandma our ancestors did it that's just how it's always been exactly move (laughs) or don't move (laughs) don't move like you know what (laughs) don't move (laughs) so you mentioned briefly you know you you, you talked a little bit you mentioned the pandemic and you know as we're all like dealing with this pandora's box uh (laughs) i believe we are (laughs) i believe we are but like at the beginning of it like you know we all heard stories about how the film industry and how entertainment industry was like one of the you know i mean every industry was basically hit like except maybe you know skype you know they probably picked up a lot yeah um, yeah well, no, <laughs> like zoom, zoom you know they yeah. right. <laughs> Oof, terrible but, but what was that like for you working in the uh, industry it was the most magical but also sad moment um i was at the produ- i was at the production company uh, leah daniels butler and her husband henry butler had hired me to be the VP of their con acquisitions and development at the production company. And we had worked like two years together. We made two films I'm very proud of. Um, and, and then Lee, I remember this so vividly. Leah sent me and my friend Erica, who, who worked at the company as well, a video in Wuhan just about them building hospitals. And she was like, I think this COVID thing is serious. And we're like, no. Nah now two days later it's a shutdown wow (laughs) oh my god (laughs) oh my god we're assholes (laughs) i was yeah she was she was so on to she's like no guys i really think this is a thing we're like no it's not a thing it's gonna be fine um but essentially we got let go right because all the projects Mm. stopped and they can't keep people on payroll if there's no income coming so i got let go and at the time 
you know, there was literally nothing I could do. Like everything had stopped. We didn't know what was happening, but I was with my friend EJ and he's an actor. So we were kind of in quarantine together for the first month. And, and we both were just like, let's do everything and anything we've always wanted to do, but never had time to do. I took up acrylic painting. I took up knitting cooking uh, I was the baking queen um I, I, exercising <laughs> especially one like we we did and then every night we made this thing called Charday's cellar my last name is Sellers so mm. we made a, a bar area and we oh, would make a I drink like it. yeah we would make a drink from a, a drink book martini whatever <laughs> a little nightcap so for the first three like two months it was pure bliss of just yeah i'm sure a lot of us were were feeling as like oh this is cute like i like this <laughs> this is what life would be like if we didn't have to stress over jobs and money we just right. existing and making art um right. and then the black lives matter resurgent happened and then we had mm. you know it was time to get to work so i me and ej went and we led some protests at the laugh factory on sunset here in west hollywood for about a month Um, we did a birthday celebration thing for brianna taylor um we did a voter registration pop-ups because that was obviously a big election year and we we had a lot of local elections here in la we were voting on a da we were voting on a lot of important things um so we had like you know the first two months of rest and then we were active man through that whole rest of the year just but doing you know voter things like getting people to understand what we were voting on propositions and and the president obviously and um that's how we spent the rest of the year (laughs) wow yeah (laughs) (laughs) just going Well, (laughs) well what is it in 2022 that you're looking forward to oh my gosh um i hope i i hope i i mean i'm working on a project now that they've tentatively asked me to join you know, they shoot in South Africa. I don't think I'll be able to go to South Africa, but I, I'll be hopefully helping produce the show. Mm. But I am looking to, I feel like last year I got back into work. I shot a movie in Hawaii. I shot a movie here in LA. Um, I, I did a TV show with King Batch early in the year. So I'm really hoping this year I get more jobs, but also more money. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, Nothing I worked wrong with that. Yeah, I think they got me for pretty cheap last year because I was just, I wanted to get out the house. I was like, I gotta get out right. the house. But now I'm like, I would like to make money. Um, well, you know, now's a good time to be like, my rates went up. That's yeah, yeah. Right. My rates went totally up. So it was pandemic rate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pandemic rate. Acceptable and yeah. expected. So I really, I'm really looking. I, oh well, I should, I should take that back. That's work stuff. My twin brothers, my my babies, the love of my life, Lenny and Lonnie. If they ever listen to this, which they'll roll their eyes, they are not only turning 18 this year, but they're also graduating from high school and going to college wow. this year. So congratulations, Lenny and Lonnie. Lenny and Lonnie. Ah, uh, that's wonderful. Congratulations. So that is very <laughs> much a big Broadway. deal. Are they going to the same college? No, no. Lonnie is going to say he got a football scholarship to Central Michigan. All right. Going to stay and play football. And Lenny is going to come out here with me to L.A. And that actually is so exciting for me. Aw. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. I'm so happy for you. That's really Thank nice. The, the whole time they were growing up, I was here, like, trying to live my dream. So I, I feel like yeah. I missed out yeah. on them. So I'm looking forward to having time with my brother to learn about him as a 
a human being and not just yeah. a brother. Um, so I'm very excited. I'm very That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now we're coming close to the end of the podcast, and this is the point where I ask the big question, the question I give my, give my guests beforehand, give them some time to think about it, chew it over, see what what strikes them. And Sade, your question was, who will play you in your life movie, in the movie of your life? Yep, you did send me that question, and I, it really took me... <laughs> It took me at a loss because I was like, oh my gosh, like who That's surprising. I would I feel like you're a person who would like, you know, think this, would have this already. This you've already discussed this. No. (laughs) I've never thought about this question before because I'm at a weird age where I'm like it's not a Halle Berry and it's not a Zendaya. It's you know I so I so I thought about it, I listed some really wonderful actresses names so but Mm -hmm. i went back and i said okay if 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 i wasn't if i wasn't defined by parameters of where i am right now like being 32 and and whatever if i could skip ahead and catch up with this actress's age i know that sounds shady but i'm not but if i could (laughs) skip ahead i would love angela bassett to play me as Uh, a future me like adult me and maybe hopefully we all yeah (laughs) i'm like i would love angela bassett because i just feel like she has this warmth and softness to her and this that that is very much me but also this like ferociousness that is also very me i'm very protective of the people i love and um i think i think i would just love to see her tackle like a a southern not southern but a midwestern like nerdy girl (laughs) and i think she could do it but so if it could be anyone i would love it to be angela bassett I just like her a lot too. Okay. Yeah, no, she's absolutely a reason for me to watch anything. Like you put Angela Bassett in, and I'm like, I'm there. I, not- <laughs> I love her. So again, if I, it, it could be Angela Bassett from the nineties, it could be, or me catching up to going ahead where she is now. I don't care, but I, I would hire her in a second. <laughs> All right. Well, awesome. Well, thank you, Sade, for joining me. Um, would you like to shout out anything where people can find you and your work online? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter at I am Sade Sellers. And of course, you can listen to Afro Horror Podcast. We're streaming on everywhere. Um, and uh, that's really it. None of my shows are out yet, so I can't really plug those. <laughs> but um, if you, I'm new to this TikTok thing, but I'm doing movie reviews and, and suggestions over there. Cause I, I oh, cool. yeah, I'm not really a, a dancer. I'm not going to be dancing on TikTok, but um, <laughs> yeah, right now I'm doing a series of like movies that I've watched that I think you should watch. Like I did Waterworld today. I don't know if you remember Waterworld. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw that, you know, you tweeted something about this is the hill you're going to die on. I'm like, mm-hmm. I love Waterworld. I'm going to promote it. Like I own it. <laughs> I, it. It needs a, needs a remake. We can do better. We know better. <laughs> now we have better technology let's do it right right um so yeah if you like if you like if you want to uh go to tiktok and and get some silly movie suggestions like water world <laughs> i'm over there as well well um again thank you you are so much fun like oh, i really um you. i would i enjoyed talking to you and i would love you know i don't know if this is if this is kosher or not, but I would love to be a guest on your Afro yes! horror podcast. Oh my God, please. Um, because I love, love, love horror films. Woo!